Last Sunday, we began an examination of one of the most famous Old Testament characters, definitely probably the most famous of the judges, a man by the name of Samson, and the presentation of Samson's miraculous birth. Again, his, his mother was barren, married to a man by the name of Manoah. Her heart aches for the lack of not having a child, the stigma around barrenness, her life not being fruitful. Again, no fault of her own, and yet Jesus comes into her plight, comes into her darkness, comes into her struggle, into her insecurities, and he says, I'm going to give you a son. It's an amazing story. Again, chapter 13 records it for us. And I kind of, I will admit, I'm a bit smitten by Samson's wife. I mean, not wife, but his mother. She's not known. She's not mentioned. Her name is not included. She's just the wife of Manoah. But I love this woman. I mean, her heart, her tenderness, her godliness, even to the fact that like when the angel of the Lord has this conversation and she's asking questions and there's this whole dialogue that ensues and then the angel of the Lord Jesus goes away and she comes to Manoah. It's like, you'll never believe. I just had this encounter. God spoke. I'm going to have a son. This is awesome. He's like, did you get the information so we can contact this angel of the Lord? She's like, I forgot to get his email address. But then the angel of the Lord comes back to her has this wonderful dialogue, this wonderful exchange. Manoah is very adamant about getting the information. Who exactly are you? Now, there's some suspicions. This might be the angel of the Lord. This could be the same character that has popped up all throughout Jewish history, now showing up in our lives. So what's your name? And Jesus says, my name is wonderful. Literally, it's incomprehensible. I can't tell you my name because it would blow your mind. Well, you want to make an offering. Make an offering to the Lord. And then we read this story where they're making this offering to the Lord. And within the fire, the angel of the Lord descends and disappears up to heaven. And Manoah loses it. We're going to die. He's on the ground. We've seen God. We're toast. And again, I love Manoah's wife. Because she's like, get up, you idiot. You know, like... He just gave us all these wonderful promises. We're going to have a son. He's going to use our son to deliver Israel. And now you're thinking he's going to kill us. That doesn't make any sense. I love it. I love this woman. I was asked after the study, why do you think we don't know her name? We know Manoah, but why do we not know this woman's name? And it caught me off guard a little bit. I wasn't prepared, something I hadn't considered. But I felt like in the moment, I had this, this thought. You know, when we get to heaven and we're in the kingdom and we're with Jesus, we're told that we will each individually be given a name. You think your name is Nick or Sean? No, no, no. There's a name. A name that Jesus has for you that he'll give it to you. And only you and Jesus will know it because it's just that intimate. It's just you. No one else needs to know your name. But Jesus, and I thought to myself, I love this woman. And maybe that's the case. That Jesus loves this woman so much. He's like, you know what? Your name, that's just for me. Just like someday we'll be given a name that's just between you and him. I love it. Now, Samson we're told at the end of chapter 13 
The woman bore a son, verse 24, called his name Samson. The child grew. The Lord blessed him. This is the only time we, we find this word blessed within the book of Judges. Samson, he grows, he develops, and he's blessed. God blesses him. We're not given the particulars. We're not even given any details, really, as far as his, his rearing, his raising. We know that there is um, a godly call in his life that his parents are very aware of. His parents know that there's something unique about their son. God has told his parents that this little boy God was going to use to begin to, to deliver the children of Israel out of the oppression of the Philistines. They're godly parents who know the Lord, who pray, who have a vision for their son that God has directed, that God has orchestrated, and, and, and they're raising Samson. And as we're gonna kind of get to know Samson, what was that like? Raising Samson. So he's blessed. The chapter ends that the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. At Menea Dan, between Zorah and Eshtel. We've seen the presence, the activity of the Holy Spirit, often in our travels through Judges. Uh, we've seen the Holy Spirit come upon individuals for a specific task at hand, from Gideon to Othniel. We've seen examples of this already in our travels uh, through the book, the Holy Spirit coming upon. This is a different type of a thing. In fact, the interaction, the relationship that Samson will have with the Holy Spirit, it's not a one-off, which is interesting. It, all the other examples, it's a moment in time, the Spirit comes upon somebody to fulfill this task of deliverance. Samson has this ongoing interaction, multiple occasions where he's interacting with the Holy Spirit. It's a very unique thing. Samson's unique. We're not given any of the, the, the background information of any of the other um, deliverers, any of the other judges. We're not given their birth information, their parental information. I mean, Samson really is kind of a unicorn, and he's set aside a bit differently than all the other ones. And we see that this interaction, that as he's growing, as he's developing, as he's being raised in this godly home, at some point, the spirit of the Lord begins to move upon him. And the idea here is it to clothe like we've seen in other places, to come upon. But this is more of to beat, like in a drum. As Samson is growing, as he's seeing the, the, the spiritual makeup of the people of God, as he's seeing their, their decline, as he's seeing their immorality and their wickedness, and he's seeing the oppression of the Philistines, as he's growing up and he's observing what's going on within his culture, the Spirit of God is beating on him. Now, he knows about his calling, I'm sure. He's been told, his parents have articulated it. That's no way to act as the deliverer, Samson. A deliverer would clearly make his bed every morning and brush his teeth, Samson. You know, that this had to have been this constant, like, you can't mess around. Now, now while all this is going on, this is something I think is just interesting about Samson. Something I didn't really grasp until I was doing a more in-depth study is that there's a lot of other things going on while Samson's growing up. Josephus, and scholars seem to confirm the timeline on this, that when Samson's 14 years old, so when he's an adolescent, again, in the tribe of Dan, another woman has come to the tabernacle. 
another woman that is struggling with barrenness, another woman dealing with that same difficulty, a woman that has likely heard the story of Manoah's wife. She comes to the tabernacle and she's pouring herself before the Lord. And the Lord comes to her and says, you two are gonna have a son. It is believed that Samuel is born, reared, and then dedicated to the temple while Samson's about 14 years old. Which again, when then when we get to Samson's ministry in this same area, dealing with the Philistines, uh, the Gaza area, we're all familiar with a bit more now, there is another occasion happening where you have this little ruddy redheaded kid that's out watching the flocks of his father and a lion comes up to attack one of the lambs and he takes out his sling and he slays the lion and then a bear tries to do the same. This ruddy little, this little kid out in the fields who would become David, the king of Israel. This is all going on while Samson is growing up and while he has his particular ministry and place and time. So he's 14. The spirit's moving upon him. We get to chapter 14, verse one. Now, Samson, we don't know how old he is. We're not, we're not sure. He's marrying age. Samson went down to Timnah, <clears throat> which was one of the towns of Philistia. And he saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines, now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. This is our first introduction to Samson. Seems kind of spoiled, doesn't he? Seems kind of rude. Let me point out something else about Samson that I think is important for the overall understanding of his storyline. Samson grows up with godly parents. He has a godly calling. Jesus has kind of ordained him. There's this plan for his life. God has articulated this plan. This plan is sure as sure can get. God's will is established that he will use this man to begin to deliver the children of Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. He won't complete the task, but he will begin a work that then David will later fulfill. So there's this setup here. He's growing up with this incredible pressure, this incredible expectation. This is the call. This is what God wants for your life. And then the very introduction to Samson, after we're told that the spirit's been banging on his heart and he's been seeing these things, is what? I don't want anything to do with this. I mean, this is really what's happening here. He's committing like number one rule, the cardinal sin. He goes to the people he's supposed to be delivering Israel from. He sees one of their girls is like, I want her. No, you don't. Like, what are you thinking? Like to me, the, the most interesting thing about Samson, when you look at his life, is I think he is the absolute epitome of a completely reluctant judge. He reminds me in a lot of ways of Jonah. Remember the story of Jonah? Jonah gets called by God. He's in Judea. I want you to go to Nineveh, which is the capital of the Assyrians, who had been brutalizing the Hebrew people for years. Atrocious things, campaigns and wars. I want you to go, Jonah. I'm sending you to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, I know you're so good, you're likely going to save them, and I don't want anything to do with it. And he goes, he gets on a boat, and he goes the opposite direction. 
God says, I want to use you. And Jonah's like, no, I don't want to be used. And what happens? Does Jonah's will supersede the will of God? No. Even when the storm gets kicked up and all this stuff happens, Jonah's like, throw me overboard. Thinking that that will get him out of it. I mean, he's that determined not to be used by God. And then the fish swallows him, spits him back up, and he goes to Nineveh, says, 40 days, you're all going to die. That's his message, the gospel. And what happens? The greatest revival in human history. And what does Jonah do? The book ends. He goes up on a hill, and he whines about it. I, this is exactly what I thought was going to happen. And I told you, God, I didn't want anything to do with it. And that's historians. Like Samson to me is such a similar case. So there's this call in his life. Godly parents, he's grown up under this expectation. And he's also got this vow of the Nazarite. So he's never cut his hair. We'll see later in the story. They probably are like really cool uh, dreadlocks, specifically like seven of them. I mean, cool looking dude. He's kind of Rastafarian in that sense. He's a Jewish Bob Marley. So he's never cut his hair. He's never had any of the fruit of the vine. He's never come in contact with anything unclean. And the first thing we see when he gets of age, first he goes to Timnah, and then he sees a daughter of the Philistines, and then he goes home and is like, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what I want to do. What? First, let me, let me make kind of an observation here for parents. The case can be made that maybe Manoah and his wife made some mistakes along the way. Uh, we will see that they don't exactly handle this situation that great. Is this an indication of just dealing with a hard kid and they're kind of like, I'm, you're, you're old enough, I'm done. I don't know. You can let the Lord speak to you however you want to with that. But I will say, we're told to, to train up a child in the ways that they should go. We have a responsibility as a parent to not just communicate the gospel to our children, but to live it, to demonstrate it, to be an example, to have a vision for our kid, to love them, to point them to Jesus. There's a responsibility that doesn't always guarantee that your kid stays on the straight and narrow. And if you're a parent and, and that's, that's your situation, you can always look back and say, I wish I had done this. I wish I hadn't done this. You can always self-evaluate. I got, I got three under 11. I'm daily self-evaluating, you know? And you can beat yourself up to your blue in the face. I should have done this. I should have been the, I, oh. There comes a point that we all stand before God on our own. And if you have a kid that has been wayward, again, we pray for the, a prodigal calling that they do come back around. But my heart is a bit sympathetic. Here's Samson. And right from the beginning, he's like, I'm gonna go marry a Philistine. You're supposed to be the deliverer of the Hebrew people from the Philistines. Now you wanna shack up and make babies with them. Like, what are you thinking, Samson? So he comes to his parents like, you have to do this. And that's the custom here. They got to go. They got to pay for a dowry. They've got to set this up. There's got to be a wedding. There's got a blending of families. And so they, they plead. Verse three, 
Then his father and mother said to Samson, is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Are you kidding me, Samson? Is there not any girl in Israel that you want to knock boots with? You got to go to the Philistines? And then look at, look at Samson's reaction. He says to his father, get her for me for she pleases me well. What a punk. I mean, I mean, it does just ooze attitude, doesn't it? Get her for me. She pleases me. For those of you that, that are single and you're struggling in, in this season of life of singleness and, and you're, you've been praying, Lord, provide me a spouse. Lord, I don't want to be alone. I, I want... I want to have a family. I want you to understand there is something worse than singleness. And that is falling in love with the wrong person and being married to the wrong person. And we'll see that within Samson, he sees this woman, it's love at first sight, and he wants her. And this does not work out well for him. And we have to guard our heart. We have to protect what we see and what we allow ourselves to consider. There is something worse than being alone. That is being with someone that's terrible. That you can't get away from. We're told verse four, but his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Now, there's a few observations we have to make about this verse because um, it it can lead us to the wrong conclusion about what's happening. There There are some that will say, oh, well, this is part of Samson's plan. Like Samson has a master plan here, and they're just, they don't know about it. And so we just gotta let the story unfold. You gotta notice though, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. That note, that he, that pronoun, he, it's in capitalized. What this tells us is Samson has his will. But there's another will also at play here. And whose will is it? It's the Lord's. You see, Samson's father and mother, along with Samson, don't know or not aware that God is going to use Samson's disobedience and his dysfunction for his purposes. And we'll see this all through his life. Again, Samson's such an interesting character, just like Jonah, because we see Samson determined to, to, to get his will done in heaven, as opposed to seeking God's will on earth. Samson has a will, and he's like, I don't care what God's will is. And God's like, oh, my, my will is going to happen, regardless of how you feel about it. Now, please note, and again, this is the hypothetical. This is not the story we have. God's will is is achieved best in our lives through our obedience. Like God has a will for your life, a plan for your life. And that will is discovered, it's unpacked. This journey unfolds through obedience. That's not to say that God can't use our disobedience. It's just a much harder journey. And I think I can kind of get an amen from, from older Christians. They're like, man, I... I'm thankful for where I am today. May I wish I had taken a different path to get here. Praise the Lord for his grace. Praise the Lord for his goodness. Praise the Lord that you know what? Sometimes God gives me what I want, knowing 
it's going to hurt, but he's still going to use it. Like Samson is, is it's this weird thing, man. He, is, he wants nothing to do with the Lord's calling here at the beginning. He goes to marry a Philistine. And then we give him this detail. Yeah, yeah, that was what Samson was doing. We're gonna, it's going to be funny at the end because God's going to use it. Also note, and I think it's worth pointing out, a, a unique word for at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. This is a totally different word that we've, we've encountered in Judges. We, we've run into this idea that the, the is, Israelites were being oppressed by various people groups, from the Amalekites to the Amorites to the Parasites, you know, whatever. that they were oppressed, they were in subjugation, they were in bondage, there was, this was, it's the idea, it's a brutal thing. This is a totally different word, it's an interesting word, gives us insight into really what's happening within the children of Israel. Note back to our previous study, when God calls Manoah's wife and says, I'm providing a deliverer through a boy I'm gonna give you, note Israel's not calling out in distress, the Lord's not responding to a, a, a measure of repentance. Things are the darkest they've been in the sense that Israel just doesn't care. Like where we're full-blown apathy, complacency. And this word gives us a further insight. The word dominion here, it's actually the same word that you find in Genesis 3 verse 16. So after the fall, during the curse, you know, you know, God addresses the serpent, he addresses man. But then when he's talking to the woman, he uses this phrase, he's talking about a childbearing, how difficult it will be in labor. But then at the end, it's like, and your husband, like you'll long for him, he will have dominion over you. It's the same word. It's a unique Hebrew word, dominion. It's different. It literally means to rule over. Not in a sense that it's bad but in a sense that there is an authority and a submission dynamic at work. What this seems to indicate is that Israel is, is not being oppressed. They're like, you know, this is actually kind of cool being under the reign of the Philistines. And they're like totally have submitted to life under it. And they're like, you know, I mean, my 401k is doing great. And I'm buying and selling things. You know, these Philistines aren't all that bad. And they've completely just ebbed into it. They're ruling, and Israel's like, we're cool submitting. How far have we fallen? So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother. And he came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. Now, it seems as though, and we'll see this as the story plays out. So Samson wants this woman, one of the daughters of the Philistines. He tells his parents, they're like, why are you doing this? But we're not fighting with you. We're just gonna go, let's set this up. Now, as they're making their way, Samson deviates from the group. So his father and mother are taking one route and Samson's like, hey, I'll catch up with you. And he veers off into a vineyard. Now, what's one of the things that he's not supposed to have any contact with? Through the vine. Again, so reinforcing the notion here that as soon as Samson's of age and he's doing his own thing, he doesn't care about any of this anymore. And so he's gonna go through a vineyard. Now we're told that to his surprise, as he's making his way, this roaring lion comes out against him. That's not a good dynamic, okay? I don't care who you are. Lion greater than you. It's not a Doverman. This is a lion, 
I mean, Samson's kind of in, in trouble here. He's caught off guard. This is a surprise attack. But verse 6, the spirit of the Lord came not just upon him, but mightily upon him. The word, again, is a little different. It's seized him. And he tore the lion apart. And then our author gives us this detail, as one would have torn apart a young goat. I don't know how you do that, or even what that looks like, but that's what it was like. Hey, I know you all tear apart goats. He was doing the same thing to a lion. Though he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. And again, that, that indicates that he's broken off from them. So he goes into the, he has this encounter. He tears the lion apart. The spirit comes upon him. Now, I, I believe, and you can, you can disagree with me and be wrong. That's, to, that's totally your prerogative. I think that this is the first time anything like this has happened. I, I don't think that Samson was like the six-year-old playing t-ball, jacking him out, right? In fact, again, not to get the cart before the horse, our, 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 our modern depictions of Samson, like our, I call them kind of the felt board Sunday school caricature of Samson, is some, is some Fabio-style ripped jack, like like a Jewish rock, you know? I mean, like he's huge, he's ripped. He probably looks a lot like I do, okay? Just, just being, being, being okay. But like we got this, this idea that he's, he's just so muscular. At the end of the story, the great mystery about Samson, we're told, is no one knows the substance of his strength. Like he does these crazy things and people are like, how? If he looked like the rock, it would be pretty obvious. So I, I don't think that he, he looked the part. In fact, he would do these supernatural acts of strength and people were just mystified. Which probably means he looked a lot more like me. So he's going through this, this, this vineyard and this lion jumps out and he tears this lion apart. And I think this probably freaked him out. I don't think that this had happened before. He knew about his calling. He knew God was going to be working in his life. He knew the deal. But in this moment, he experiences something crazy. He tears apart this line, and he doesn't tell anyone. If I had torn apart a line, you're going to hear about it on Facebook. I think he's overwhelmed by this. I think he doesn't know how to process it. I think he's also kind of having this deal with God. Like, I told you I was out. Kind of making it clear. And now you're doing this? So he doesn't tell his father or mother what he had done. Then he went down and he talked with the woman. And she pleased Samson well. And after some time, <clears throat> when he had returned here, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. So he took some of it. Don't know why, but I guess he was hungry. Still, I'd find a burger somewhere else. Bees, a swarm of bees, the honey carcass. He took some of it in his hands and he went along eating. And when he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them and they also ate. But again, he did not tell them 
that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. And why would he have told them? Because they would have been disappointed. Because again, he's gone through a vineyard, shouldn't do that. He's killed this lion, but now he's gone back and he's messing with the unclean. And this is another strike against this Nazarite call, this thing that his parents have instilled in him, the way that they had reared him and raised him. He's rebelling against things and he's cavalier. He goes, he sees the carcass, there's some bees. He's like, oh, honey. He reaches in, he grabs it. He's eating the honeycomb, he gives it to his bees. He doesn't tell them, but he's so relaxed about it. I read one commentator, he made an interesting kind of allegorical observation about this. He said that Samson, he reaches into the forbidden to take what is sweet. And doesn't that get us into trouble sometimes? (laughs) Have you ever been there? Have you ever looked at the forbidden? And saw that there was something sweet in it. And you reached out and you ate it. This is the beginning of his downfall. Verse 10, so his father went down to the woman. Note who's absent. We've had some, some, we've had the references of his mother. Even going down, setting this up, coming back. When, When we go to actually have the final... His mom's absent. And I think she's like, I'm out. So his father goes. Samson gave a feast there. For the young men used to do so. And this, this, this word feast in the Hebrew, it's literally a drinking feast. This is part of the celebration. This is part of, of, the, um, of the ceremony. <laughs> Side observation, archaeologically, we know that the Philistines were master brewers. Uh, they didn't drink a lot of wine. The, the Philistines coming from Europe and Crete, they were very much into beer like the Egyptians. So this is a beer fest. It's Oktoberfest. Fun little detail. You like that one, yeah. So his father went down with the woman. They had this feast that the young men used to, and it happened that when they saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. So Samson's going solo. And he gets down there and there's this big feast. There's this festival. They're going to have this wedding celebration and nobody's with Samson. And they're like, well, that's, you know, you go to a wedding, like nobody comes from the groom's side and everybody's there from the bride's side. It's like, well, this is just weird. So we need to get him some boys, you know? So they recruit 30 guys. Hey, can you be his entourage? You know, yeah, it's interesting. You, you never find, I mean, Samson's an ultimate loner. God uses him alone. Unlike the other judges who raise up an army and go to battle, etc. Samson does none of that. Samson is a one-man wrecking crew. He's a one-man show. And, and I think that there's something to be unpacked there, especially when you get the, the insight into Samson. Samson doesn't have friends. No friends. No connection. He's a loner. So they get him 30 buddies. And Samson says to them, let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. So Samson's trying to be social, but he's awkward. You know, let me pose a riddle. Let's play a little game over the seven days. I'll give you a riddle. If you solve the riddle, I'll give you 30 tuxedos. And if you can't get it, then you give me 30 tuxedos. Not like what's he going to do with 30 tuxedos. But he's, you know, socially awkward, trying to, you know, lighten the mood. I got this riddle. 
So they said, pose your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days, they could not explain the riddle. So it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, now it's his wife in betrothal, not in consummation yet, but they come and they say, entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us or we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? So, hey, um, this riddle seems to be a little more difficult than we thought. Uh, you invited us to be his buddies, and now we're kind of in a, a bad, a bad. Th- so you need to f- entice him. You find it out for us, or we'll kill you and everything you love and hold dear. So Samson's wife wept on him and said, you only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. So Samson looked at her. Look, I haven't explained it to my father or my mother. Should I explain it to you? I mean, the marriage is off to a good start, you know. Now she had wept on him the seven days while the feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed him so much. That's a nice way of saying she nagged him to death. He's wanting to have fun, have a party, and she's being a killjoy, and she's nagging and nagging and nagging. Now, I I give her a, a little credit in the sense that she's in a tough pickle. She's in a tough spot. Ironically, she could have gone and just told Samson, hey, they're threatening to kill me, and Samson could have dealt with that. But she nags him, and she manipulates him. And as a result, we'll see that he ends up resenting her. Let me me say something tactfully. (laughs) My wife's not here. (laughs) Women, you have a tool in your toolbox to get your man to do all kinds of things for you. You can nag the man into total submission. You have that power. Most of the men, if they were brave, would say amen, but they're not going to do that next to you. You have a power. Hear me, hear me, ladies. You have a power. Men from the youngest age are taught, there's one big rule. You don't fight with a woman. You don't do it. You don't fight with women. And so there's a dynamic, I'm not going to fight with you. And your man, if you nag him enough, will roll over, he'll capitulate. You will get your will and your wish. It's effective. But you will create damage in your relationship. You'll win, 
but you will have lost. You know, a lot of times men don't fight. They check out. I'm not going to fight with you. You know what? I'm going to shut up because it does me no good. And I'm just going to go fishing. I'm going to go do my own thing. This woman nags Samson to death. And finally, he's like, I can't handle it, woman. You want it? Here you go. So she then explains the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to Samson on the seventh day before the sun went down. So the clock is expiring. And they said, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Now, how do we know that Samson's heart has turned towards this woman, that there's resentment? Well, read the next verse. So he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. That's not the words of a loving husband that's feeling real romantic with his woman. That's, that's the reaction of a man who's given up. He's been nagged to death, and now he's calling her his heifer. Again, Samson, not a, he doesn't have a way with words. Now, now what, is he, what is he saying? Well, you, didn't, you, you don't plow a field with a heifer, cow. You plow a field with an ox. So he's using a turn of phrase here to say, like, you did something in a way that shouldn't be done. I gave you a riddle, and you cheated, and you cheated in a way that's kind of dirty. You went to this woman, my wife, and you got it out of her. You got her to get it out of me, then you got it out of her. He's upset. Now, this is what's crazy. Then (laughs) the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. Great story. He loses the deal. Okay, I need to make good. I owe you 30 garments. Didn't say they would be new. And so he goes, and he kills 30 men, takes their clothes, strips them off, goes back. Here you go. And he's ticked off. He leaves the woman. He's angry. He goes back to his father's house, has a little pity party. And in the process of that, the father of the Philistine woman is like, well, he ain't coming back. And we just went through all this expense to have a wedding. And and the best man then gets her. And after a while, in the time of the wheat harvest, so a few months pass, it happened that Samson, visited his wife with a young goat. So he's, he's softened. He's like, I'm going to go, you know, I've, I've been gone for a couple months. I left angry. Uh, you know, the killing of the 30 dudes probably didn't go over well in town, but you know, I'm going to make it good with a goat. So he goes with a goat, gets to the front door and he says, let me go into my wife, into her room. But her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. That's okay, Samson. Is not her younger sister better than she? 
take her instead. But Samson said to them, this time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. Now he's saying, I have cause. I've been wronged. I've been harmed. This is dirty. She was still my wife. So Samson went and he caught 300 foxes, which can be translated jackals, and they do run in herds, so this is supernatural, but possible. So he catches 300 foxes, and he takes torches, and he turned the fox's tail to tail. So he ties their tails together. He puts a torch in between the tails. Foxes aren't happy about this. Their butt's on fire. And when he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the the shocks and the standing grain, as well as the vineyard and the olive groves. You got to give him some credit for ingenuity. He's like, I'm outraged. This is terrible. You shouldn't have given my woman to another man. I'm vindicated in what comes next. What am I going to do? You know, I've been, I saw this thing on YouTube, you know. I've been wanting to try it out. I'm going to round up some foxes. I'm going to tie the tails together. How does he even do that? And he puts a torch and he lights it. This is going to be awesome. And then he sends the fox. You can imagine the zigzag patterns. These foxes are not pleased. And what does he do? He burns all their fields up. So the Philistines, they said, who's done this? So they answered, Samson the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Ugh. Ugh. That's interesting that the very fear that she had that led her to manipulate her husband to get what she wanted, ended up coming true anyway. There's something something there in there. Like this is this is terrible for this woman. This is terrible for her father for three. I mean this is this is tragedy. This is tragic. Fear. Fear is toxic in a relationship, when we act because we're afraid, when we respond out of fear, nothing good comes from that. We should love one another and act in faith, not fear. So Samson said to them, since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you. And after that, I'll cease. So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. And he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Tom. We don't exactly know what this is. Hip and thigh seems to be a figure of speech. Samson attacks them. There's a great slaughter. And this is all like MMA. It's about the best translation I can get. This is mixed martial arts. It's just, he doesn't have a weapon. He doesn't have a utensil. It's just pure fisticuffs, hip and thigh, and he slaughters them. Could also refer to the fact that he would, he just cut them in half, that he mowed them down. 
He's angry. He takes vengeance. Now the Philistines went up and camped in, in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? And they answered and they said, we've come to arrest Samson do you, to do to him what he has done to us. So 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of the Tom and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. Tit for tat, bucko. But they said to him, we've come down to arrest you that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. Interesting strategy. The Philistines are angry, obviously, at Samson. They want to arrest Samson, but they're like, we don't want to do it. So they mask the army that come, and the men of Judah are like, whoa, 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 whoa. We did not do anything. Why are you here? Why are you upset? This is not us. What's, what's the deal? And they're like, well, we're here to arrest Samson. And so they're like, well, let us do it. Thinking that, you know, this will work out better in the end. This is probably more amicable. So Samson, he said to them, swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. <laughs> Which is interesting because Samson's like, if you do this and you try to come after me, I don't know what's going to happen. And you're my brethren. And um, I don't want you caught in the middle of this. So they said to him, no, we'll tie you securely, deliver you into their hand. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire and his bonds broke loose from his hands and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. He reached out his hand and he took it and he killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, actually literally sang, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. Now, they bring Samson to the Philistines. They come running against him. Boom, he pops out of his shackles. And he's going to take, there's a, a thousand men here, right? And he's like, I need a weapon. Now, in our minds, we think that he sees a dead donkey. He's like, well, I guess that'll do. And he grabs the jawbone of the donkey with the teeth still in it, whatever. And he's like, makeshift weapon. Uh, first, if it was an older donkey that had been, dis like the bone wouldn't have been really a good thing to use. It would have been brittle, would have broken. In fact, if you really dig into this, we're, we're told he found a fresh jawbone. The word fresh here in Hebrew, it's literally moist. I don't think the donkey was dead. That's my, that's my thought. Samson Boom, breaks out of his things and he's looking and there's a donkey. He's like, that'll work. And he rips the, <laughs> grabs it and rips the jawbone. It's fresh, it's moist, it's bloody. It's got all of its teeth. And then he goes to town and he kills a thousand Philistines with a fresh. I, I did do some Googling to see if I could get my hands on a donkey's jawbone. I thought that would have been kind of a fun prop. You know, they're hard to find on Amazon. I, I, you know, I, 
I could have found a fresh one, but I didn't want to really do that. But like, again, the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Rips out the donkey's jawbone. You don't need those dentures, bud. I don't even know how this works. Again, the Holy Spirit. Now, Samson's running against the current, isn't he? He don't want anything to do with God's calling. But now we're seeing God's still using him. Still beginning the deliverance process. He's not rallying an army. He's not giving a great speech. He's not coming up with a strategy. Dude's reacting in real time to one thing after another. I want one from, uh, from Timnah. I rip apart a lion. Party prank goes, goes wrong. I go kill 30 guys. I come back to get my wife. She's given to another man. I'm a little ticked off about that. Like one thing after another, after another, like it's just happening in sequence. And yet Samson is running against God, but God is using Samson. Like, I don't know how that works exactly. But we see it. Now, I want to set us up for next Sunday. Because I think that there's something now happening in Samson that's fascinating. Notice again, there's this slaughter. The Holy Spirit had come upon him with the lion. The Holy Spirit had come upon him uh, when he went down to Eshkelah. The Holy Spirit now comes upon him and we have the, the, the thousand men donkey bone execution thing. But then notice, and, and he senses this, which is why he tells the men of Judah, like, I, I'll go with you, but don't be aggressive because I don't know, they could get out of control. You know? And sure enough, he gets there and they come and it gets out of control. But notice his response. He says, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand. No, he hadn't. He was just a tool, just like the jawbone. And he knew it because he knew the Holy Spirit had come upon him. Again, Samson could look in the mirror and say, I don't know if this is happening. But in this victory, what happens? He starts to take credit. He goes from not wanting anything to do with God's call in his life to now taking credit. And man, does this begin a slippery, slippery slope in the life of Samson, which you'll have to come back next Sunday for. Father, Lord, thank you for your word.